Praise the Lord, everyone, and welcome to All Things Apostolic. Acts chapter 17, verses 22 and 23 say this, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. We're so glad to have you with us today. We're talking about the revelation of God, and we are moving toward a discussion of God's attributes, God's nature, his characteristics, as he describes himself in Scripture. Before we can get to that, though, we have to talk about how God makes himself known to human beings, uh, and we began that discussion last week, and we will finish that today and move into a discussion of his attributes uh, in the next uh, time that we're together and go as far as we possibly can into those attributes. Um, so, and the reason this is an important discussion for us, as we've mentioned previously, is our goal is to live life theologically, meaning that we live our life oriented around the knowledge of God. That's what we build our life around. And if we're going to live our life oriented around the knowledge of God, we need to know how God makes himself known. And um, so in moving toward a discussion of his nature, we need to know how he reveals his nature to us. And we have begun by talking about the ways that God has revealed himself. And we left that in two. We talked about that in two large categories. Number one being what some people would call universal revelation. Others would call natural revelation. That's the first category, universal or natural and uh, this is universal and natural revelation, which we talked about in the last episode, is God revealing himself to all of humanity through the created order. Um, that means you should be able to look at, Romans 1 tells us this, you should be able to look at the created order and tell uh, everything about God that you need to begin to pursue him, to begin to diligently seek after him, as Hebrews 11 would tell us to do. Uh, you should be able to look at the created order, Romans 1 tells us, and even find out about his eternal power and find out about his Godhead. You should be able to tell that there's one God and that he is the omnipotent one, his eternal power and Godhead. Uh, you should be able to pick all of those things up from the created order. There's a whole discussion that needs to go into that, and that's not the direction we're going. Maybe one of these days we will. Uh, but we want to move into the second category of revelation, and that is the category that we that theologians would call special revelation uh, or higher revelation. So you have universal revelation that everyone can see, and we'll touch on this for just a second uh, as we move into this discussion. Um, universal revelation is revelation that everyone can see. There's no one that doesn't have access to it, no matter your language, uh, no matter your culture. Everyone has access to that revelation. And then, but the second category is the one that we want to spend a lot of time on, and that is special revelation, because we want to orient our life around what we know about God and how God reveals himself. So the second type of revelation, the first is natural revelation or universal. The second type of revelation, special or higher revelation, uh, we could probably, we could break that down into at least three categories. There's probably an effective way to break that down several more times, but we'll leave it at three 
Uh, the first kind of special revelation would be experiential revelation, which is dealing with things like prophecy. These are things we read about these in Scripture, uh, where it's revelation by experience, by encountering God. Um, and this deals with uh, things like prophecy. The Word of God would come to a particular prophet, and he would prophesy to the nation of Israel or to a king or to to an army, etc., a nation. And so God would make himself known and make his, uh, his character known, make his will known to people through prophecy. Another would be visions, dreams, um, other encounters with God, etc. Uh, so that would be one category of special revelation. Another would be uh, incarnational revelation, meaning how God made himself known to human beings by revealing himself as the man Jesus Christ. This is our incarnational revelation. And it's that facet of revelation that we covered in our last lesson in John 1 and 18. Uh, this is God revealed in Jesus Christ. Um, this is incarnational revelation. The third, and all of these kind of work together, the third is actually the repository for all types of special revelation. And that is, we will call it scriptural revelation where the Word of God, the Bible, uh, the Bible keeps and records, catalogs, if you will, the way God has revealed himself to human beings. So in our previous time together, we discussed natural revelation, and we uh, and we did we, we touched on that enough where people will know what that is. but we want to spend a large portion of time on special revelation. So what we want to do, is see if there are any places in Scripture. So we're going to spend a lot of time with special revelation, in particular when we're talking about the attributes of God. What does God tell us about God? We develop our theology based around what God is going to, what God has told us about Himself. So, are there any places in Scripture where the gap between natural, universal revelation and special revelation, where that gap is bridged? where we can see where we move from uh, natural revelation to special revelation, where where that movement uh, takes place. This kind of is based on the idea of Hebrews 11, 1 and 6, where he that cometh to God, number one, must believe that he is. That could be natural revelation. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. In other words, there's a point where it's not enough to know that he exists, but we have to. We want to pursue him and know him better. And he rewards if we pursue him, if we diligently seek him. He rewards, and I think that uh, the reward of us diligently seeking him is he lets us find him. The reward of seeking is finding. So uh, we want to see if there's some places in Scripture where that gap between natural revelation and special revelation, between universal revelation and higher revelation, is bridged. Where the, where the two come together. And there are several places. One place that immediately comes to mind uh, is Hebrews 1, which is a little, little different than what we've been talking about, but nevertheless, Hebrews 1 talks about God at sundry times, at different places, has spoken to us. But now in these last days has spoken to, unto us by his Son. And it's talking about the nature of Revelation, how it moves from broad to more specific uh, this You can read about this in Hebrews 1. That's one example that immediately comes to mind. Another example that comes to mind is one that we've already touched on a little bit, and that is in Romans 1, 
And you can see it very clear, Romans 1 moves from uh, general revelation, universal revelation, to special revelation. It says, uh, talking about, uh, especially when you get down to around verse 18, 19, 20, it talks about human beings who hold the knowledge of God in their person, in their created person. They have they have the revelation of God in their created person. It says, this is, this is how it says it. It says, for that which may be known of God is evident in them. For God has showed it unto them. He's revealed it to them. It's that which may be known of God is evident in them. But then it also says, he has made, he's made it known unto them. He hath showed it unto them. For that which may be known of God, that which may be known of God, you can see it in the created order. This is how it says it. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world being uh, are, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. In other words, he's telling us, you can look around and you can tell an awful lot about God. You can tell an awful lot about God by looking at the created order. And then he gets so specific. He said, but that which may be known of God is expressed, is made known through those that are made in his image, through human beings. So there's a gap that's bridged there between universal revelation and and special revelation. Uh, and when that, when uh, universal revelation is all you have, it tends in humanity to, to lend itself toward idolatry. And in Romans 1, you can read it. It says, because they worship the creature more than the creator. Uh, universal revelation, unless you pursue God, almost a universe, I can't think of an example where it doesn't turn into idolatry. Um so we don't goes without saying we don't want to get involved in idolatrous situations. We want to pursue him. We want to know about him. We want him to know that we're after him. We want him to know that we're seeking further revelation from him about his nature. So those are that's those are a couple of examples of where the gap is bridged, where scripture bridges the gap between universal revelation and special revelation. But there are two places that I think are the most beautiful. Are uh, one of them I consider to be beautiful. The other one I consider to be very. Um, uh, it's it's beautiful is a good word, but I would say very skilled on the part of the apostle Paul. One of them that's that the one that we'll close with is the one that we open with in Acts chapter seventeen, and we read verses twenty two and twenty three. We'll back up in just a moment and cover some of the preceding verses. But maybe the most beautiful place where this is seen is captured in worship. It's in a setting where we are supposed to be worshiping, and it is found in Psalm 19. The first four verses, well, maybe the first six verses of Psalm 19 deal with universal revelation. We'll read it. We'll read some of it in just a moment. The first six verses deal with universal revelation, and the fact, and it, it deals with the fact that there's no place on the planet, there's no place in the universe where that universal revelation is not present, where it cannot be apprehended and taken advantage of. But then it moves, it does something that's beautiful. It moves into, it moves that general revelation inward. It moves it inward and it becomes special revelation. It moves from talking about the sun. It moves from talking about creation. It moves from talking about these things that are massive and large, where Everybody can see it, where the revelation of God is writ large. And then it moves into special revelation, and it begins to talk about the commandment of God 
and it, it begins to talk about the enlightenment of the eyes that come through God's statutes and God's laws and God and God's commandment. Enlightenment of the eyes. That's revelation. That's what it's dealing with. Let's read this. Psalm 19, verse 1 through 4. We'll skip down to verse 7 in just a moment, but this is what verses 1 through 4 say. Listen to the universal revelation of this. Notice this. It begins with the universal. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare it. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. Hmm. Just look up. The heavens declare the work of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. There's a lot of preaching here. Listen to verse 2. Day unto day uttereth speech. The heavens do this. The firmament does this. They utter speech every single day. And night unto night showeth knowledge. Now, just in case somebody would say, well, I, I don't I don't know if that means everybody can get it. Listen to verse 3. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Uh, verse 4 says, their line is gone out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. Think about that. That universal revelation is available to everybody. There's no place in the earth where God's revelation is not expressed. It's there for everyone, no matter your language, no matter your culture, no matter your creed. The heavens are declaring it. The firmament is declaring it. And you and it will find a way to speak to you in your language. God's revelation will come to you in your language. But then by the time we get down to verse 7, that broad general revelation that we see in the first four, really the first six verses, but we read the first four, that general and broad revelation that you get there moves inward. Listen to this, Psalm 19, this is verses 7 through 10. The law of the Lord is perfect. Where previously in verse 1 we talked about the heavens and the firmament, now we're talking about the law and the testimony. Heavens and firmament declare God, law and testimony declare God. Listen to this, the law of the Lord is perfect. Notice notice what this type of revelation does. That universal revelation puts us all in a category. No one can escape. It puts us all in a category of hearers. We all get it. But not everybody gets the special kind of revelation. You have to seek it. Verse 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Notice what it does. Converting the soul. Converting the soul. This is the revelation moved inward. Con the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony is the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. It's virtually the same, uh, the virtually the same pattern in verse eight. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. There's this is revelation moved inward. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So. Uh, at the risk of sounding too repetitive, you have universal revelation, and then you have the specific revelation, the special revelation that God gave first to the children of Israel at Sinai, his law, his commandments, his statutes, all of this, this special revelation. Moses goes up the mountain and comes back down with those commandments, with those patterns, with those things that God gave to them and no one else at this point. This is special revelation. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they. 
Think about that. You have general you have general revelation or universal revelation, but special revelation is more to be desired than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. This is one of the most beautiful places in Scripture where you see the gap closed between universal or natural revelation and higher or special revelation. That gap is closed. The universal and the special come together. The firmament declares and God's commandment, God's statutes, God's law declare. But they don't just declare, they move inward and they convert the soul. The second example of spanning the gap between the universal and higher revelation is what we began this discuss, this discussion with today in Acts chapter 17. At the beginning of Acts uh, 17, uh, Paul is, he has to, he has to leave where he's preaching in a hurry and he's waiting on his companions to show up. And when they do, they go to Athens in Greece and uh, listen to verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Aha. They've got universal revelation and they are wholly given to idolatry. Paul notices this and it stirs him. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. This is Paul's recognizing something. They have general revelation and it's led them to I, general revelation without without uh, specific special revelation has it they've embraced idolatry because of it. Uh, listen to verse 18. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans, there's a lot to talk about with Epicureans and with the Stoics of the Stoics, a lot to talk about with Stoics, encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Other some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods. Because notice this, they say, they're say they saying all of these things, the last line of verse 18 they're, he's saying all of these things, and this is the reason why they are saying he's a babbler. He's the setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Jesus is the revelation of God. He's talking to people that are wholly given to idolatry. They are aware that there's something greater than them, but they have not come to the knowledge of God in Christ. He preached unto them Jesus now, there's a whole discussion that goes on there between verses 18 and verse 22. There's, there's some points that are made. Let's skip down to verse 22. This is where we started our discussion today. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. He confronts their idolatry head on. He confronts it. You've got general revelation. This is what he says. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions... I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. They're aware that there's something out there. They've got general revelation. They're, they're aware that there's something out there. Whom therefore, to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. I am giving you special revelation right here. He's preached unto them Jesus. Notice how he did it. He tells them that Jesus is God. Listen to verse 24. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and 
earth. The verse goes on, but that's enough for us. Seeing he's preaching unto them Jesus. That's what it's what it said in verse 18. And he's telling them that Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. Wow. All of a sudden, these people that have had general revelation for years, maybe even centuries, and they've developed philosophies around it and developed the system of worship as idolatrous as it was. They've developed a system of worship. They are now aware that they've got the, by the preaching of Paul, we're not just, we're not going to center around an idol to the unknown God. We've got special revelation where previously we were aware that there was a God. Now we know his name. His name is Jesus. He is the revelation of God. So this is astounding. Paul preaches Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth, the one that created it all. He's the God that spoke everything into existence. This is the highest form of revelation. Paul is giving them the highest form of revelation that God is revealed in Jesus Christ. So what do we mean when we say that Jesus, that God is, uh, Jesus, uh, God is revealed in Jesus Christ, perfectly revealed in Jesus Christ? What do we mean when we quote from Colossians when, and where we say that Jesus is the fullness uh, in within Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What do we mean? Well, that takes an examination into the nature of God, into the attributes of God. What are his characteristics? What are the things that God has said about God? That's the only way we can understand him, the way he's revealed himself to us. This is what we're going to be talking about in the next several uh, times that we have together. I'm excited about it. I hope you are. I'm looking forward to it. We'll see you next time.